0: Welcome to Altamar. I'm Peter Schechter.
1: And I'm Mooney Jensen, and today we'll dive into the illegal gold market, its miners, bankers, traffickers, and enablers, and all of its global implications. And to help us understand this very complicated process and the very intricate web of actors, we've invited Professor Mark Piet to join us. Mark is the head of the Basel Institute on Governance and the author of a very interesting recent book on gold laundering
0: mooney it's it's just hard to know where to begin to tackle this topic, you know, and let me I guess one I'll begin with with quoting Alan Greenspan, the former Fed chairman, who said that gold is money in extremis, which sounds obvious, but rings very true. gold is tangible, physical wealth, unmoved by inflation making up most of the reserves of central banks around the world and since the beginning of time gold has been central to geopolitics from ancient rome to the conquest of the americas to hitler's stolen arsenal to the initial u.s gold backed dollar it has been the standard of a solid economy and a safeguard in times of war this is this is a metal that goes back a long way
1: and a source of conflict and power plays from the beginning of time but let's fast forward to today where parallel criminal organizations have emerged focusing on gold as their core business and seemingly nobody really understood and realized until it was too late illegal mining essentially consists of mining without permits without taxes without labor standards and obviously without any environmental protection on what it ends up being mercury laced waters it's flourished in sensitive areas such as the amazon and south africa and the trade of gold from these mines is now at the Front of a growing, increasingly profitable and very deadly global criminal enterprise.
0: You know, but I think that what, what people don't understand Moon, is that the damage begins with all of the environmental issues, but it just doesn't stop with the mining itself. A recent Bloomberg article really underlined for me the repercussions of what happens from illegal mining aside from the environmental damage you know the unchecked industry generates clusters of prostitution human trafficking forced labor disease the killing of indigenous people the violence associated with the quick arrival of crime cartels it's 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 really It's one of these businesses that just spins out of control.
1: And it's incredibly profitable, which makes it so much worse. The numbers are a frightening reflection. Over a third of the gold, a third of the gold exported by Latin America came from illegal mining. And that's probably a conservative number. And one third of the world's illegal gold enters through South Florida. So a clear Miami connection. It's hard to do oversight in many countries, if you look at the production statistics, they do not compare at all with export numbers, which are all significantly higher. So there's a definite gap where illegal mining comes in. And political leaders are all over the world are struggling to contain illegal mining with very poor results. It's really hard to control, like drug trafficking. The business has morphed into a highly sophisticated heavily armed global operation where enormous sums of money and power transactions really overwhelm even the best intention and most capable governments.
0: I think that point, I just want to strengthen that point because of the huge ties that are being created between cocaine and gold from the fields of Peru or South Africa You know, Colombia, Brazil to banks in Miami and Panama and gold trafficking feeds money laundering operations associated with narco trafficking. Selling gold into the U.S. market miles and miles away from the jungle is just a new way of diversification for drug lords who are under fire and want to invest their drug monies in enormous illegal mines. And by selling through shell companies, they just launder that drug business and Terrorist organizations also use gold, just like they do cocaine, to finance their operations.
1: Peter, the best example today of the devastating social impacts created by illegal gold mining is Venezuela, where the government actually sponsors this industry. In the mining areas, there's violence, there's organized crime, there's complicity with many sectors of the Maduro regime, including the army, which basically protects the illegal mine sectors. And there's many dollars of gold in this region, The Venezuelan government has given its cronies illegal land titles to the Orinoco River, which is now heavily contaminated with mercury. And all that mercury and waste products flow into the Southern Caribbean, then there's millions of dollars in revenue from this black market enterprise that are actually propping up Maduro in the face of increasing international economic sanctions.
0: Yeah, it's completely true. I mean, Venezuela is the basket case that everything can become And gold mining has a huge role. And, you know, what I think is so interesting about this issue is that, you know, it's created such a path of destruction, but only now people are starting to talk about it. You know, in some places, it's more powerful than cocaine, but it's received so much less attention because I guess it's because gold, which is essentially legal, has had, you know, a long and better reputation. It's harder to trace. But new avenues to stop the illegal gold trade are just now coming onto the scene and being created. And our guest is one of those pioneers who is creating those new avenues. Professor Mark Piet has been professor of criminal law and criminology at the University of Basel, Switzerland since 1993. From 1989 to 1993, before he was the head of the Economic and Organized Crime Section at the Swiss Federal Office of Justice. In this role, he drafted legislation against money laundering, organized crime, drug abuse, corruption, as well as on the confiscation of assets. He is the founder and chairman of the board of the Basel Institute on Governance. He is co-founder of the World Economic Forum's Partnering Against Corruption initiative and the author of Gold Laundering, The Dirty Secrets of the Gold Trade and How to Clean It Up. Professor Mark Piet, welcome to Altamar. I'm happy to be here. So, Mark, let me let me just set the scene for us first. Can you just describe the size of the illegal gold market, compare it to the drug market? What exactly are we talking about in dollars and cents?
2: You know, Peter, they are both big. If you talk about the illicit uh, gold market, it gets very difficult. The 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 actual problem is you have really illegal gold, like organized crime or warlords uh, controlling the gold market, but you have lots of informal, let's say simply um, not um, officially registered um, miners. And that can't be called simply illegal unless they are... Uh, for instance, not paying taxes or if they're smuggling. So it's a very uh, unclear picture at the moment.
0: Let's concentrate on the illegal part and tell us about the impact of illegal gold. Because I I presume it's much more than just the, the impact is an illegal product that isn't taxed. There are huge human effects, aren't there?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think here we have to distinguish between the two big segments of mining. You have artisanal gold mining, the small uh, type, uh, the, uh, uh, let's say, traditional communities, and you have large-scale industrial mining. If you go into the artisanal area, you have huge environmental damages. I'm thinking of Brazil, where they're logging illegally, where they're, uh, uh, where they're contaminating the water with mercury or with cyanide, very toxic, um, substances. You also have violence uh, linked either to organized crime or to uh, actual uh, conflict zones. Here, again, you have examples. Organized crime, Colombia is uh, is at the forefront at the moment with the peace process has actually created a lot of um, uh, so-called bandas criminales, Criminal gangs, and uh, if you look, talk about conflict, you, it's uh, enough to go to Darfur in Sudan. You have lots and lots of uh, uh, people being killed over fights over gold. It, somewhere in between that f- field, you have forms of slavery and child labour. Um, and if I, you know, if I go into the industrial. Area. Everybody thinks that's much better, but you have frequently got a kind of land grabbing, you have expropriation without adequate remuneration of, of uh, indigenous population, or you have Toxic waste, Um, those hills in Johannesburg, the sulfuric hills, which are contaminated with uh, um, all sorts of poisonous substances. Or then you have, as a consequence of all that, you have conflicts with local communities, and you might have uh, even got uh, security services shooting at villagers. So there's a whole plethora of different um, human rights problems
1: we let's take a quick walk through the supply chain I am Colombian and aside from the the criminal bans the, there is a lot of uh, environmental co- organizations that are facing the environmental impacts of illegal gold mining not just mercury but just the also the threats to the forest and the and the jungles are these groups um, valid you know players in in the in the struggle to end
2: illegal gold mining? Well, somebody has to do something. And I think they're perfectly right in what they're claiming, Muni. I think um, taking Latin America, you have problem zones like in Brazil or in the Amazonian area of Peru, Madre de Dios, or in Venezuela. And typically, if it's not that they are... Uh, they, they might be logging illegally, uh, cutting down the um, the Amazonas uh, forests. But what also happens is uh, they are digging up the silt of the rivers with uh, something that they call, depending on the size of the uh, construction, dragas or dragones or balsas. They would be digging up, scraping the ground of the river, and the silt then mixes with the water. And even if they don't use uh, mercury, which they typically do, even if they don't use mercury, th- the silt mixes with the water and impedes the um, uh, oxygen uh, developing and the sunlight penetrating the water and cleaning it up. So I think that these, these organizations are perfectly right with what they're saying. The big question is now, are they able to change something? And there, I'm not so sure.
1: Another step in the, in the supply chain. When and how did this marriage occur between illegal mining and drug trafficking?
2: Well, um, I think it had to do uh, with... Um, illegal drug money being used to buy gold. That was the original method in Colombia. They were would be buying gold, for instance, in Panama, re importing it um, and claiming that they dug up that gold at some artisanal mine, which either didn't exist or was no way responsible for that gold. And then they would launder it in Antioquia, in in Medellin, actually the same players as we've had before in, in in the drug trade, and then export it to the US. And then it would end up in a wedding ring, that you would buy in the U.S. And it's actually originally drug money and then possibly illegally obtained gold.
1: And then the next step at the banks, anything to be done in Switzerland, Miami, Panama to put an end to this
2: uh, enterprise? Y- yes. Well, I would stop one. I would start one step before that. In fact, for me, the the actual, um, if you want gatekeepers, are the refineries. So, especially in Switzerland, you have every year seventy percent of the new gold that is mined is imported into Switzerland and sixty eight percent re-exported. And the the refineries they actually are in a position to know where it comes from. They are, of course, then linked to the banks. So, the frequently, the, the refineries are a kind of commissioners. They, they wouldn't even own the gold. They would simply work on it. But the bank would be the customer and would also have a responsibility to know where they're sourcing from. Um, and the banks could theoretically know, whether it's coming, for instance, from Darfur, um, because we know the trail, we can reconstruct the trail. Um, I must say, I was rather astonished that I, as an amateur in this field, was able to reconstruct in the course of one year what these people are saying they can't do
0: yeah that's really amazing i have a couple of other questions that i want to get to about what can be done but i want to jump on muni's supply chain questions and just ask you a little bit about venezuela venezuela seems to me to be one of the most egregious examples you know if if you call yourself an amateur which is a very nice and diplomatic thing to do we're really civilians in this issue but venezuela does seem to me to be one of the, a unique case in which actually There is government-sponsored and government-incentivized cronyism to distribute uh, land to allow people to illegally mine gold and export it. And just tell us how how Venezuela has really um, changed the the equation of illegal mining, if at all.
2: Okay, well, Venezuela is um, a very uh One of the big traditional uh gold mining places um it 's actually the area where people were trying to find um the um the the the, the biggest uh, gold source um in historic times. but what is happening currently is you have a failed state i mean you have a state that is totally at uh, uh, crashing. At the same time, government is not only distributing wildly um, mining rights, they are cooperating with Turkey and Russia to exchange the gold exported and obtain funding to stay alive, to stay in power. It's a very uh, um, crude way of uh, securing survival for a, a government that is a total a total basket case. If you if you allow me this very crude word,
0: Mark, you mentioned as we were chatting before the show started that you were in Pisa and you were actually surprised by how many people wanted to talk to you about the book and about this issue. And it just seems like there's. You know, been It's taken a long time for governments and the public in general and the journalists to to really catch on about the impact of this giant criminal enterprise and to begin taking an interest. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why has it been so long and what can we do about it?
2: I think there are different sort of segments to it. Interestingly enough, you know, Pisa is a place where you would have jewelers. And the, they are uh, waking up to the topic because their clients are saying, I don't want child labor on my wedding ring, please, because that's not a good start in my, into my married life. And on the other end of it, governments, they have been uh, kind of protecting their, uh, their homegrown industry. I know this well because uh, I know the example of Switzerland and its uh, four major refineries. So the Swiss government is comparing uh, the situation in Switzerland with Dubai, India, and South Africa instead of maybe the European Union or the US. So I think one could do far more. But governments are very slow to do something really uh, meaningful because they're trying to protect their uh, economic interest.
0: You, you've now you know, looked at this issue in detail. Tell us, walk us through a little bit what you would like to see both developed and developing countries, supplier countries, and recipient countries try to do to correct what's happening? Uh, you know, are, what laws, what regulations are we just talking about? Increased interdiction. Which country has really done it well, and why are they the right example?
2: I would like to start at the place where the mines are. You can, in fact, um, produce cleaner gold. I wouldn't say it's absolutely clean because, of course, what ends up there is a moon landscape. Uh, I've been to these places in a a plain called Ananea um, in the the Andes in Peru, but that's the place where they work relatively clean. Um, They're basically sifting through rubble to extract what in a similar way as you'd done in Sacramento in 1850 or so, to extract uh, nuggets. And one could actually develop that, uh, let's say, mercury-free um, approach to mining by uh, giving a certification and also a premium. It's already done, but one is a bit stiff and one is not understanding that these people, for instance, need to be pre-financed because if they don't have enough uh, funding at the right moment, people will simply run off and uh, go back to their old ways up into the really illegal or or, uh, gray market mines. So, I would start at the place of the mine and um, in, encourage people to um, a, lo- uh, a long-term, uh, sustainable, clean production, and that has to be pre-financed. There's another aspect there, security. It's a very, very um, risky situation. There are a lot of criminals and there's organized criminality. So countries like Peru and Colombia. The governments have a responsibility to secure um, those indigenous populations there from the influence of organized criminals. The the other side of it would be for me to look at refiners and banks and then jewelers. And here it's interesting, you know, there are models, the OECD, the International Organization of Economic uh, Cooperation and Development has, has actually written such rules. The only problem is they are voluntary. Now, the, Companies have started to develop self-regulatory instruments based on those OECD rules. Take, for instance, the London Bullion Market Association. That's a, an industry group. the The difficulty, though, is so far these rules are not really taking grip. They're not really being translated because uh, the people, the independent evaluators who should be uh, secure the whole system, they're not up to it. They don't understand what they're doing and they're being too nice with those controls and they are not ensuring that people really go back to the source. This is not me saying it, it's the OECD itself who are actually claiming that this is the problem. So to make it short, I would say on the end of the refiners, one has to um, force them by law to do something. And here, for me, the European Union is on the right track. They are actually translating the OECD uh, voluntary rules into binding legal standards for their member states. 2021 is the deadline.
1: It seems, Mark, from listening to you that it's uh, a lot less, you know, impossible to work on the, on the demand side than it is on the supply. And I'm constantly reminded of the parallels to trying to do coca crop substitution. And legalize what are essentially criminal enterprises. Is there a role for legitimate gold mines here in this story? Can, Aside from trying to survive and thrive, can they work with governments to promote legitimate gold producers? The numbers are strange when you look at export numbers from countries and then imports, there's a huge gap. What is the role of um, the legitimate gold mines?
2: I think you that's a very good point because of course they are the they're responsible for 80% of the mined gold. They are really the big players and if you take the 10 biggest of them, uh they're all in this World Gold Council. They are on paper committed, but um they themselves are struggling against problems. But I think they could do far more and uh, an interesting aspect is they are frequently um, working alongside local communities, and they would it would be in their hands to link up with those communities rather than uh, let the uh, security services loose on them um, to actually cooperate with them and to see to it that child labour, for instance, is not a major topic, but to to buy the gold from artisanal entities around their big mines. So I think you're perfectly right that the, the major mines have a, have a role to play. And they, are, of course, have a far a thicker capital. They, I mean, they have the necessary capital to do so. Whereas the indigenous artisanal miners, they are living from a day to, on a day-to-day basis.
1: You mentioned um, the concept of nobody wants blood on their wedding ring. And I think that the blood diamond uh, campaign has really affected the way consumers behave about buying and, and you know wearing these um, kind of blood jewels. Is there anything to be learned from the diamond industry that the gold industry can adopt?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the uh, consumer awareness is key. If you go to the, your jeweler and say, well... Uh, this is really nice what you're offering here, but I would like to know where it comes from, where your where your material comes from, your your gold. It's interesting how they react. Um, it's also interesting. I asked quite a lot of jewelers um, that I uh, encountered. Uh, do people actually ask that question? And they frequently said, "No," but we told them we had to basically raise their awareness. On the other hand, the, difficult, or the difference between gold and diamonds is, you know, da- diamonds, you can, they're open to tracking and tracing because you can actually insert um, something into the diamond that does not go away. Whereas in the production process of gold, if you, when you purify gold, you lose all the traces from the origin of course what you can do is then once you've got your gold bar or so you can insert a kind of identifier to allow tracking and tracing from the from the refinery onwards but you will not be able to tell from the mine to the end user where it comes from
1: professor mark p thank you for an interesting and thoughtful interview and thank you for being on Altamar. it's
2: a great pleasure thank you very
0: much only it's You know, it's about damn time, I would say, you know, it just this is one of those issues that has been so long ignored. And now because of the uh, multiple manifestations, you know, it's environmental degradation, it's crime, it's violence, it's prostitution, it's, I think... The consumer countries are waking up to this as, as, uh, you know, the professor said, it's the refineries of gold of which the Swiss are responsible for a huge chunk of it that is suddenly waking up to the ramifications that, you know, the consumer countries and the end consumers themselves have to be responsible for what they're buying.
1: It just seems that he, he did mention our guest, Mark, um, how he was able to trace the whole money trail in a year. Is there a lack of political will here? I mean, can governments really try to figure this out before it becomes a problem that's been out of control or is there a complicity, not just like as we see it overt in the Maluta regime, but in other producing countries that are not having a terrible time with their illegal gold? And I just find that a lot of the tools for solutions come from the consumption side, from the banks in Switzerland, from the refiners in Switzerland, from the banks in Panama and Miami. So they think that there's more um, that can be done on the consumption side. I see that the production and the whole supply chain is just really deeply corrupt.
0: While I agree with you, I think, uh, I think we can't ignore the producing states. I think, you know, they have to be singled out they ha- The illegal producers have to be targeted. They have to be sanctioned. We have to be tough, just like we're tough on the, on the narcotics. We have to be tough on the illegal production side by pointing out, singling out, sanctioning as much as possible the states. Not that, not that that has ever reduced narcotics, but I do, I do think that it also creates heightened attention to the problem that is certainly needed because we're only just starting to pay attention here
1: and i don't think it's two separate industries they're very deeply entwined the the drug industry and the illegal gold industry which makes it even more challenging for anyone to try to control that it is a very powerful criminal enterprise
0: but i think your your question to him about like what can the serious legal formal company gold money companies do to really help raise the awareness of this i think was the key question because they have a role too
1: It's a multi pronged problem. Thank you for joining us on Altamar. See you next time.